You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Laura. Hi. Laura, please inform the wonderful viewer, yes, I said viewer, out there about what you do professionally. Um, I am a professional student, so I'm studying most of the time, and I also do a podcast called Spaghetti. Now, what are you studying as a student? Okay, I'm doing essentially pre-med so i'm doing like biomedical science majoring in anatomy and neuroscience um hopefully to do medicine afterwards so neuroscience yeah neuroscience and anatomy now are you more obsessed with the mental health issue or are you more obsessed with kind of the way like the chemical responses in the brain i'm into the chemical side because like I've done like a fuckload of therapy. And so I'm like, okay, like I understand the whole like, oh, this is like the mood side. So I'm like, well, I want to know like what is firing off in the brain that's causing that, you know, because it's like, fuck the mood. You can figure out a mood. Yeah. You'll, like- you'll see a lot of it when it comes to going to the gym. The fact that after the, like before, like let's say yesterday, I was headed to the gym was not in a good mood, had a long day at work. I was just so drained. I was like, all right, don't I just want to go home and sleep. My body needs rest right now. But I pushed myself to pick up those weights. And as I'm picking up those weights, two hours later, I'm like, fuck, like, I feel like I could take down three grizzly bears. Like, you know, I was pumped up and ready to go. And that's because um, after working out, you have a high level of cortisol. So it's kind of like you're body's primary way of kind of trying to repair itself as well it's kind of in a state of recovery but it's also at like a peak so yeah. I was I was ready to go I went home ate a meal and then I, like not even like 30 minutes later I was back to where I was before like the rough <laughs> on. yeah that's really cool science to do with exercise and just like the weight like the impact on mental health and all that kind of thing so yeah, yeah. I went to school for psychology so oh really I, I'm more obsessed with the mental health aspect of things, trying to understand where like an environmental influence or, you know, mm. somebody's genetic uh, predisposition to something, whether like, you know, if you enjoy a certain food, it's probably linked into your DNA that you enjoy that food. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, well, the foundation for neuro is psych. So I had to do some psych units as well. So, so. what's your, uh, I guess, one of the things you most interesting things you've learned from kind of your studies so far um I don't know man like I think like the thing that I find most exciting is that like I get to go and like do things with cadavers each week so like tomorrow I'm going into the cadaver lab and I'll be like holding fresh lungs and like all that kind of thing and you're excited about doing that Oh my God. That's like my favorite thing about uni is that like, I'll walk into my lab and they will be like brains on the table or there'll be like heads cut in half down the table. And like, it's amazing. You sound like a perfect candidate for the walking dead. 
<laughs> I saw, look, I've, I've kind of always wondered this, like people like work at funerals. Cause like death was always like, it's never supposed to feel comfortable, but I used yeah. to see like TV shows of people that work as like a mortician or something. And they're like a kid, my age walking around with headphones and they're just pulling bodies all over the place, just picking them up and looking at them and like, just like yeah. kind of messing around. I'm like, what it, he's so desensitized by this i was like yeah. he must have like just just either doesn't care or is completely oblivious to what he's doing well there's a really cool thing called the lazarus effect which is where you have someone who's dead but um they will have like um a random nerve impulse will go so sometimes you'll have someone who's like completely brain dead total vegetative state and then their arms will like they'll be lying down and their arms will like fling up a ahead of them and then cross over their chest or like a person in a morgue will just like their leg will flick out or something. So yeah, they call that the Lazarus effect because it's like Lazarus from the New Testament of just like, oh, he's alive again, but he's not really alive. It's really crazy the things the body can do, especially when it comes to the mind. Like you got to think that's just a bunch of electrical frequencies, just sending off signals. That's the ability for you to be able to move your hand, you know, move your fingers. Um, you know, like I had one lab where like we had just like a table of spinal cords. And so like, I'm holding these fresh spinal cords and I'm like, dude, like, this is amazing. This is every single movement someone made over their entire life is just held in this tube, you know, like that's crazy. Yeah, I actually think I, I've heard about Laz, uh, is it Lazarus syndrome. I think I watched A Thousand Ways to Die one time, and there was a guy that broke into another person's house and um, killed the guy that was living inside the house, like gave him a heart attack because he just he fell. And the wife was giving him CPR. So she ended up stopping and then calling the police because he just, he just died. And uh, the guy got back up. Like 15 minutes after the CPR was over with, that's Lazarus syndrome. It's the auto, uh, I guess, resuscitation after it fails during like CPR or something. You yeah. like come back. That's that's so nuts. That's like sometimes um, you'll hear a story of maybe someone goes into a morgue and they find someone moving. That's the Lazarus effect because they'll be declared dead. Um, but then they'll, um, yeah, they kind of come back. Isn't it weird, like, though, because, like, what we consider dead, I mean, there's so many weird things the body's been known to do, especially, like, after, you know, like, um, there's this thing I figured out, like, why, like, uh, I don't know if you know a whole lot about vaping, but, like, the nicotine in vapes and stuff, there's, um, if you get a high amount of content of this, it actually, like, it kind of makes you get, like, kind of like a nicotine high from it, like, if you smoked a cigarette and never smoked a cigarette before, Okay. And I was wondering, like, why does that make you feel like you need to lie down, you need to do something like, you know, you got like too high or something. And I was talking to a guy about it and he goes, you know why people that vape smoke high amounts of nicotine vape? And I said, no, why? He goes, because they love that feeling because it's basically your whole brain shutting down. And I was like, what do you mean shutting down? He goes, you know how you really have to go to the bathroom when you get a nicotine high and like it feels like you need to go like right now? And I was like, I guess. And he goes, you know, like when you smoke a cigarette for the first time, you have to go to the bathroom. It's because it's so much of a rush and stimulus on your brain that actually shuts down. So your brain actually thinks you're dying. So like when, uh -huh. you, like if you got hit by a car, you immediately like the, someone, someone dies, like not even a minute later, their bowels evacuate. 
Mm-hmm. That's what that is. I was like, holy crap. So we're saying like our brain's getting tricked into us dying. And he's like, yeah. And then this got me fascinated on a whole nother thing. My buddy sleeps with his eyes open. And Ooh, yeah, creepy. exactly. That's something you've got to warn somebody. You got to let a motherfucker know that hey, you sleep with your eyes open. I'm sitting there having a conversation with with him. A little bit, but only a little bit. Uh, he's like, you know, like straight up, like staring at a wall type. And I'm like talking uh, to him for like 45 minutes. And it's like, he goes, <laughs> Hey, what's up? I'm like, were you sleeping? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you don't know. I sleep with my eyes open. I was like, we just had a full on conversation that like you weren't talking. It was just me going off, but I guess I was just talking to myself. Does that okay. count as talking to yourself though? I think it does. How though? He's there. Yeah, but he's not hearing you. That's like, okay. If you have someone that's in a coma, and you go and sit there and you're like, hi, I just want to tell you I love you. Like, are you talking to them or are you having conversation with yourself? Uh, I every time I try and stay away from people that are either in a vegetable state or coma because I, I think they have like an itch on their foot that they really need scratched. And in their head, they're going, somebody scratched my foot. It's been seven years having this itch. <laughs> my friend actually just had um, a below the knee amputation. And so we were talking about, like, I was sending him all these photos of prosthetics like, and stuff. And um, I was like, oh, like, are you more flexible now that you don't have, like, the lower half of your leg? So, like, he can move his stump up much higher than he could move his leg up um, because, like, your hamstrings attach differently and rah, rah, But um, he was saying it's quite annoying because he can feel, um, like, his foot will be itchy or whatever, but there's no foot to scratch. Yeah, it's ghost syndrome, um, go, yeah. or ghost limb syndrome. Phantom limb syndrome or something like that. Yeah, that's that's crazy too. Like your brain sensing that there's a body part there when it's not because it's so yeah. conditioned to having it there. Yeah. I'm telling you, our mind's a fascinating thing. Like I get really obsessed with it when it comes to society and the way people choose to act. But if we just talk about chemical responses and we talk about like things you get, like why addictions kind of a big thing, not even tolling on the road of depression, but more like the chemical response that someone can get from a stimulant, such as depression, like, you know, alcohol, they see that as an antidepressant, but it's like, they call it liquid courage. I'm like, well, it's, it's a weird response to our brain, but it's so fascinating that our brain, when it gets put into a critical state, it has an auto shutdown system. It lets you know, like, look, you've had too much to drink. I'm shutting the lights off. And that's when you black out. Or if you yeah. get hit like a severe, like, you know, football injury or severe car accident or something, your brain goes into a state of shock where it's hyper aware of everything around you. You get a little bit of a tunnel vision type thing, but it's more like your senses are boosted up because realize we're in fight or flight mode. Well, I remember like I got into a bad car accident when I was about 19. Um, I, I was at like a T intersection and this guy ran a red light and just drove through my car. So I got totally spun out and destroyed my car and all that kind of thing. Um, We didn't realize it at the time, but like I got knocked out. I got knocked unconscious in that accident and I could feel my body. Like what I remember is I drove, I pulled out and then there was like this huge bang and then I remember my body, it felt like an electrical system going through my whole body going like, and I felt like each different part of my body kind of do like a systems check and go like, okay, back online. And then I heard my friend call out my name and I was like, yeah, yeah, hi. And it turns out that like she'd been calling out my name like several times, but I'd been 
yeah, unconscious. But when I came back to it, I could feel through my whole body just the brain going, okay, that's there, that's there, you know, like setting everything up again. It was very weird. Have you ever heard of Kotar's delusion? Thinking you're real? It's a it's basically a rare mental disorder in which a person actually believes that he or she is missing body parts, such as like the brain. Like so they'll walk around thinking they're actually a zombie. I feel like I know some of these people. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Like one of my um one of my areas of interest is that like that fight or flight response, right? And so like you might notice that um when you're really scared, you might feel like you need to like literally like shit your pants. And I was always like, why? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. That explains um, my whole high school. Every time <laughs> I was had to do something like performing or getting up in front of the class, I'd be like, I have to shit. Yeah. And I was always like, that doesn't make sense to me in terms of evolution. Like to evacuate your bowels when you're panicked doesn't make sense, you know, because that leaves a scent marker that takes time. It takes all this kind of thing, you know. Um, but it turns out that actually what happens is you go into this fight or flight response and your body goes, you know how your body will pull um, like blood flow changes when you're in fight or flight. Well, it's supposed so to take out the excess stuff you don't need. So you're, it can only use the essential parts. Yeah. So in your, in your sphincter, in your asshole, sorry, but like that, will, <laughs> <laughs> that loses literally, it takes away about 2% of the normal focus to that. And it's enough that like, you're not going to lose control of your bowels, but you feel like you need to shit. And it's literally your body goes, okay, like I know I can take away about 2% of that focus and you won't shit yourself, but you'll feel like you're going to. And so like, yeah, I was always like, that doesn't make sense to want to crap when you're panicked, but it's actually your body going like, I'm just going to take away a little bit of the blood flow from your asshole, but don't worry, you're going to be okay. <laughs> it's a smart concept, but it's like, hey, I don't need that when I'm about to give a speech in front of 500 kids. Okay? Yeah, I don't, there's no lions here. I don't need to be panicked. <laughs> this is common in sports and with like UFC and stuff. You'll see them throw up before they go into the ring. It's because mm -hmm. their their body's trying to get rid of any excess, so it's not holding itself like stuff that's not needed for this yeah. moment that's about to occur i mean have you ever been in a fight before not a proper one no i mean oh. the the first of all i think the most intense thing about it and only like some people get this way uh, joe rogan kind of talks about it in the aspect of like they're a smart fighter when they get like this before a fight when they get really really nervous and that's because that whole thing leading up before the fight is probably the most intense feeling you will ever feel. It's like having a panic attack. You feel like you need to go. You don't know if you should stay. You should just, you're, you're constantly you're like your body's getting ready for something. You feel the adrenaline pumping through you. And next thing you know, it just starts happening. And then everything kind of goes numb. And it's like, yeah. there's that. And then there's people like, I, I mean, I know people that have severe mental health issues from depression or schizophrenia or something where I'm trying to understand where this come from. And there's things I started finding out about the brain, like the fact that somebody that could touch a stove, you would know that would to be hot. Don't do that. Don't ever do that hurts. But for that hurt for us is goodness for them. It makes them feel good. Their wires in their brain are crossed. So bad feelings are good feelings and good feelings are actually uneasy feelings for them. Yeah, that's like there's a certain degree when you look at um, like self-harm or something like that, 
someone that doesn't self-harm might look at it and go like, why the fuck would you cut yourself or burn yourself or do something like that? Like that hurts and that obviously can't feel good. But then if you get someone who's in like a severely depressed state or whatever, and I think like one of the big misconceptions about depression is that it's not like you're feeling like, oh, I'm so sad all the time. It's like you feel nothing, you know? Um, And that's the issue with depression is it's like, it's just this complete nothingness, right? And so then if you look at self-harm within that context, it's like if I feel absolutely nothing and I want to know that I'm alive or I just want to feel something, then if I cut myself, I can feel something, you know? And so then instead of it being a painful thing, it becomes a, oh, a confirmation of life thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I actually noticed that in one of my uh, really good friends when I was a kid, he like grabbed a lighter and he held it upside down and kept it burning metal. Like, so it was like the actual metal part of the lighter was red. And then he stuck it into his arm and burned like a horseshoe on his arm. And I was like, doesn't that hurt? And you can see him tearing up, like it definitely hurt, but he like, he didn't care. I was just like, are you doing that to be cool? It didn't really impress me, but it was like... (laughs) It was crazy to see because he was always that kind of like he wore black clothing. He had kind of the emo yeah. style back in the day, you know, not hipster now. But um, it was really kind of weird to see that like people's just whatever they kind of developed through life. You know, we related on so many different levels, except when it came to like pain and stuff. I, you know, I always yeah. kind of try to kept it hidden away or, you know, trying to gloss over it. And he was more of the type that kind of wore it out on his sleeve. You know, I was mm-hmm. jealous of that, too. You know, I think we all have something super interesting about us and something we're doing um, that we totally gloss over. You know, when I started kind of being more open minded, talking to more people and kind of walking out into the world and trying to change my perspective was trying to see things from another person's point of view as well. When I see a person, you know, I took psychology, so now I sell, I diagnose everybody. I can't help it. (laughs) I don't mean to, like, I don't sit there and tell them, Hey, here's some advice you should be doing. I just know a little bit. I don't know a whole lot at all, but I know a good amount to where I see someone. I'm like that person that's really screaming at another person in the middle of a store right now in front of everyone probably has something going on in their life besides this moment about who should get the last pack of gum. I definitely think like there's so much more in there, but people don't see that. Um, Well, like um, there's a concept called the window of tolerance and I wish that more people would learn about this. Um, And it's really, it's probably a stupid thing to explain on a podcast because you need a visual of it. But um, if you imagine that like that, like everybody has um, a window of what is acceptable for them and like how they can, behave rationally within that you know but um like if you're stressed then that window gets smaller and it's harder to operate within that window and it means that you'll get pushed out of that window much easier and so when we kind of go around we look at people and we kind of assume that oh they have the same window as me they have the same tolerance level as me whatever we always think that people are similar to us but um it's important to realize like yeah, maybe someone's operating on a much lower window of tolerance at the moment, or maybe something something that might seem minor to you can be something very major to somebody else. I definitely think like, you know, recently I've been kind of listening to other people's podcasts and like some MMA fighters and a little bit more of Joe Rogan kind of a couple of times I was just listening to the same one over and over again, trying to pick up what he was saying and actually pay attention instead of having it on as like background noise. Yeah. It says everyone has their demons. 
that's a hundred percent true. We all have our demons. Like I have an anger demon for sure, but it's never there because I'm constantly working out. I've done it every single day for seven years. I have not missed one. It's like, I have no stress to give off. And when I do get pissed off during the beginning of the day, after my workout, I found myself to be less giving of shit. You know, I'm just like, someone cuts me off in traffic. I'm like, Oh, that was cool. Like whatever. <laughs> now I, f- I feel like I'm like boring a little bit. I'm kind of bland. Like, Oh, how you doing? Like that. Whole- I saw a thing about um, traffic that completely changed my perspective on it because I used to get really annoyed in traffic and I would be like, for fuck's sake. And then um, I saw this thing and it said, you're not in traffic. You are traffic. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like everybody is thinking the same shit as me on the road, you know? And so that took my road rage completely away. Well, when I was always wondering, like, why was I always getting so pissed off when I drive? And it was because when you're in a car like that, you're in an autonomous vehicle. So you got to think, you know, it's this is a giant machine moving around other machines. So your mm-hmm. your your frequency, you know, let's say your tolerance level, it's already at 10. It's already like, OK, this is I'm already at my max. I can't deal with any more things. So when someone is doing something that is either reckless or just being on their phones, just not going when it's a green light, it, mm-hmm. it angers you and you're more hyper aware. So you're, you're going to be the first person to honk that. You're going to be the first person to tell them, like, screw off. You're going to tell them to do a bunch of things. And it, that's like that with everyone. See, that's why when you see people get into a fight off the side of the road and that feeling lasts a lot longer in their brain, the response for them to calm down hasn't happened yet. See, the weird part about our body is when we get into a state of panic or we get into a state of fighting or whatever, it starts to send so much adrenaline to your body that sometimes your body overreacts before your brain can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's... If you look at the etymology for the word anger, it comes from, I think it's Nordic and Greek maybe, but it's it comes from two words that um, the root words for anger are fear and pain, you know. And so it's like if you have a look at when you're getting angry, it's like you're either fearful of something or you're in pain of some sort. And when we hear pain, we usually think physical pain, but anger is typically related to like an emotional pain of some sort. You know, so if you look at someone who's raging out, like that's the, it's like the tip of the iceberg, you know, you might see rage at the top, but underneath that is always um, a fear and a pain. So I feel like the emotional pain is probably more tolling than the physical pain in some aspects. Like, yeah. would you rather get your arm broken or would you rather have, you know, like a severe mental injury? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, would you rather have a severe mental injury or would you rather have your brain or no? Yeah. Yeah. Severe mental injury or a physical break in your arm. Well, this is the thing. Like I have pretty debilitating mental health stuff going on fairly constantly. And so it's like, I think we all do. I mean, obviously at different levels, but like, that'd be so handy. Like so many people always talk about, um, like they're always afraid to mention if they have mental health issues. And it's funny because the only people that are really open to it are people that are in therapy or they're therapists. And people are like, wait a minute, therapists have mental health issues? I was like, (laughs) most therapists have mental health issues. That's the problem. They can diagnose others, but they can't diagnose themselves. (laughs) I have what, you know, basically everything under the spectrum is mental health. If you have an issue like ADHD for me, you know, it's, that's mental health. That's a big one too. Actually, a little ADD point is... Um, I want to look at the links between trauma and ADHD 
because we know that um, like kids that have ADHD have a higher rate of trauma in some areas. And so it's like, I wonder if that is because um, like we don't absorb info in the same way. So like for me, I have a whole heap of things. I have like um, CPTSD and ADHD, which both affect concentration and focus and decision-making and all that kind of thing. But they both also affect my ability to assess danger and risk. And so um, I want to look at the links between ADHD and trauma. And if that's, you know, like you can tell me something 12 times and I probably won't remember it. And I can go through the same experience like 50 times and then I'm like, oh, you know. And so I really want, I think that's a really interesting area of, um, yeah, that Venn diagram of like trauma and ADHD. There's definitely a bunch of times I was reading a book and my mind was thinking about something completely different. I mean, even when I have conversations with people like doing a podcast, I'm still thinking like 10 steps of what I'm going to be doing later today and all this type of stuff. It's not that I'm bored. It's that my mind physically can't stay on one place for so long. Like in classrooms is probably one of the hardest scenarios for me. Just because sitting there, I have to be tapping my foot. I have to be doing something like constantly as I'm talking to you, I have my hands twiddling back and forth like this. Like I, there needs to be something going on or I can't keep my mind focused on it. So I need to have at least three or four things happening at once for me to actually sit down and read a book. And more people are like, why don't you just sit still? I'm like, I I can't, I can't. It's another thing that exists in my world. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I remember I was sitting in the movies with my buddy and he was like, stop tapping your foot. And I'm like, I can't, like, I, I physically can't. And he ends up like, like trying to duct tape my foot to the floor. I'm like, no, I literally like, if this doesn't happen, my whole knee's going to bounce. And if that doesn't happen, like my body starts shaking. It's like, I'm having my own internal earthquake. And (laughs) it's funny because like, like now it's not really getting seen as a mental health issue anymore, only because there's now finding better ways to combat it, like such as nutrition. But I also Mm -hmm. think it's the same thing with mental health where some people might say they have anxiety and some people say, well, I have severe anxiety. There's different levels of it. Mm. It's, It's the same thing, but it's different levels and they usually have a different effect to it. But overall, we chalk it up into the same group. You know, I have a little bit of anxiety when it comes out to going out to places, but then I can get over it pretty easy. I don't need anything. But I know people that have social anxiety. Before I went to go have a one-on-one conversation when I used to do my podcast in person, um, they would have to take a shot before they came to my house. And I knew these (laughs) people. And I'm like, what do you mean you need a shot before you come over to my house? It's six o'clock in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> it's like I just can't this is how I start my day I need a shot and it's a psychological yeah. thing too we get reliant yeah. on a system of things that work for us um, little rituals you could say because um, yeah. you think that if you don't do that ritual it's not going to go correctly your day is going to be thrown off well also your body will um your body can alert to things before the alert exists, if that makes sense. So like we kind of think, oh, well, I'm feeling panicked. It must be because I've sensed something that's scary, but your body can go into panic on its own. And then your mind goes, well, there must be something scary, but there's not something scary. It's just that your body has learned when I go into this situation, I react in this way. And so they've trained themselves into when I go into social situations I have to have a shot because otherwise I'm very scared but actually that's through like neuroplasticity their brain has gone oh when I go out I have a drink first well it's been conditioned 
It's been conditioned yeah. to believe that yeah, yeah. it's going to happen. I actually experienced this the other day when I was walking into Walmart and I was waiting because apparently they have the little fans at the beginning when you walk through the door that hits you and it's supposed mm-hmm. to keep bugs out. So there's no bugs that go into the grocery store. So that was like a okay. fun fact to learn 21 years after going into a grocery store multiple times every single day. And it was like, I found that out. And, but when I went into the store, the one time the fan wasn't on, but my body like kind of braced itself for it to happen. And I yeah. was like, Whoa, like, where's the fan? And I mentioned, Oh, it's broken. I'm like, did anybody just notice I blinked? Like if wind just hit me in the face and they're like, yeah, it's like the fan was on, but there's, it's not. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm conditioned to that. And like, you know, I, you know, it's funny. You were talking about the body's response to things before the brain response to things. That's pretty common in car accidents or severe physical trauma as well. I was in a jet ski accident. I got hit by another jet ski and the dude rode up my jet ski like a ramp. And hit me with the front of his jet ski to my chest. I flipped wow. off this jet ski and hit my head on fiberglass and flipped into the water. And before I could even think, my body ripped myself up onto my jet ski and laid myself down on my stomach on the seat. And I was just sitting there and it took me a minute. And then finally, everything started coming back kind of clear and into focus again. I thought I honestly got knocked out. And then my, like, I was like, why am I laying on this seat? And I went to get up and my back was like, done like it was it was there all my muscles were ripped it was like nah we're, we're laying down for a little while and I was like ow I was like wait a minute my body just knew I was hurt before my brain could process that I was hurt yeah, yeah that's so cool that's all like lizard brain shit that's like that's some primal stuff man yeah I, I want to know more about this thing that's in our heads like what it's 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 so sensitive and we know so little about it like there are yeah. wonderful neurosurgeons but nobody can you know they just recently now have been able to do brain brain transplant surgery like take what? your brain out and be able to they, they started okay so it was like the whole stem cell thing that was happening um back when stem cells were not big in america at all like mel gibson had to go take his 91 year old father to a whole nother country just to get stem oh, cells and like there's been people that it, it was popular in china it seems like anytime you want to get something medical done that's not good here you just go to china and then it gets incorporated here later well this american surgeon went to um china and he started brain transplant surgery on dogs and monkeys and they actually took a monkey's spine and everything out of them and reef and like fixed it and the monkey was able to move its arms again move its legs again and they started testing it with that then they moved up to a human trial and now it's being incorporated here go ahead google that shit i'm googling this shit it's, right now it's called brain transplant surgery in america now it's i guarantee you it's going to be like the top result because it's it was the freakiest thing ever because i was like can we just take people's brains out of their body and put them into other people's bodies now is this going to be like total recall or something i can give you a life in a whole nother body i would like to be brad pitt for a week <laughs> okay here's the thing i knew the last that I knew about the brain transplant stuff was um, there was an Italian surgeon probably two years ago who was like, yep, like I'm ready to do this whole transplant. And um, um, and they had this guy from Russia who was like a vegetable or something. And he was like, a, not a vegetable, he was like a quadriplegic or something. And he was like, yo, like I'm happy for y'all to try this on me. 
but I don't think uh, I can't find anything on it. I will look it up right now. But it's it's a, it's honestly a scary subject because we have a thing. It says is- I found one about um, done on a corpse. But oh, hold on. Who knows? That stuff is so cool, though. You know. There's two. What I would find really funny would be if the if the spinal cord got put in like if they connected it wrong and someone could be like in their brain definitely like I want to move my arm but then it moves like their left pinky toe instead. Do you know what I mean? Because like if they got all the things mixed up. I think that, that there's the, the weird thing is it's like when you consider the spirit, everybody considers it to be in the chest. Okay. It considers mm. it to be in your chest. Then I heard a podcast with a guy named Ryan Sickler, and he said he talked to his doctor about it. And the doctor said that he actually thinks the soul and the spirit is in your head, it's in your brain, yeah. because you can take anything out of your body and it'll still be you. Nothing will change. But if he messes with your brain, mm. everything can change. Yeah. I would agree with the soul being in the head because it's like, I would say the soul is like your core personality in a way. You know, but actually, have you seen um, this little ADD thing as well? <laughs> uh, do you ever look at like organ transplant stories of people that will take on the traits of the person whose organ they've received? Yeah, like someone that oh, gets an organ. Shit. Like it happens, like a, if you know somebody is, uh, needs a stomach or something, and they get an organ from like a runner or something, and next thing you know, they're craving like really healthy foods. Yeah, I saw one, someone had like a liver transplant or something, kidney or something, and then suddenly he really liked Cheetos and he could rap. And he was like, before he got this um, this transplant, he could never understand rap music or anything like that. And then it turns out that like the organ that he received was from like a young guy who was obsessed with Cheetos and loved rap. And then this guy, like suddenly he really wants to eat Cheetos all the time and he can understand rap music, you know? Hmm. I get the <laughs> Cheeto eating part, but understanding rap music, I didn't know correlated with the uh, organ. I don't know. That's yeah. a that's a weird it's one. About like sensory uh, cell memory instead of sense memory. I think as if like those cells were part of that person. You know. You know, if you take like a newspaper and it gets like wet, and you leave it somewhere, the ink kind of goes off onto the table. Like the words end up showing up on the table. I think yeah. that's all of our organs on the inside have like just printing genetic code all over it where it's like it can absorb into somebody else you know what i mean like if our head keeps like our heads basically like if we get into like an accident or something if our head goes forward we hit our head some way our brain is like us in a car without any seat belts we just slam up into the front of the windshield so you get your your brain just rocks right into the front of your forehead does it print some like a stamp does it print some of that genetic information in there next thing you know you don't know math like <laughs> you know I, mean? I don't think you can forget stuff, but I know that you can have. Well, you can forget stuff, obviously, because you have amnesia. But Ten Second Tom from Fifty First Dates. You remember Fifty yes. First Dates? Hi, I'm Tom. <laughs> and then, like, five, not even like six seconds later, he's like, "Hi, I'm Tom." <laughs> yeah, we just met. Oh, we did. Like, you were Hi. in a terrible hunting accident. What? I was. <laughs> Am I going to be okay? Yeah, you'll be fine. You're going to forget about it in six seconds. I, <laughs> I like. um acquired savant syndrome which is like the opposite of amnesia which is where people will have a traumatic brain injury and then they'll come out of it exceptionally gifted in an area that they had no skill in you mean idiot savant syndrome no 
Because I podcasted on, I about to say I podcasted on idiot savant syndrome. The guy that did the uh, whole New York skyline just after one view and a helicopter ride, and he was able. Wasn't he was he very autistic. He was a little bit autistic. See, the problem when they call it idiot savant syndrome, everyone thinks that you have to be mentally challenged. There is about, I think, sixty-five percent of the people that have idiot savant syndrome have autism, but it's not strictly limited to them. But that's like a little kid that has like severe autism can't like do anything like move really like pay attention no kind of sensory yeah and he's able to play beethoven on the piano yeah well you can have um so similar to that is acquired savant syndrome where you have like someone who just led like a normal life or whatever and then they get into maybe like a car accident or something like that and then they'll come out of it and suddenly they can see math in totally different ways or they can play an instrument or whatever. And it's like, I find that so bizarre because it's like, um, it's like their brain had that in them, you know, like, and how do you just like unlock that by accident? Do you know what I mean? That's the same thing with, um, have you ever heard of Sam Kinison? No, he's a famous outlandish comedian, but um, he was hit by a car and he was like quiet before. And then afterwards he was like, oh, we're going to drive drunk. We're going to do it. We're going to go all night. Like that's all he was like outlandish comedian. Really, really funny. Like, I mean, amazing uh-huh. career after the car accident. His brother wrote a book on him um, called My Brother Sam. And then uh-huh. Roseanne Barr. She was perfectly normal before she was run over by a car. And then afterwards, I can't she, her ever being normal. She, no, she said she used to be really good at math. She used to know all these things. She used to be a quiet girl, never used what? to really say anything. Teacher's pet, apple on a desk, all that. But then after she was hit by a car, she became this outlandish. She doesn't even really know math that much anymore. She just, it's it, her whole personality changed. You know, I hear Roseanne, and I think. She's the one that did that really offensive national anthem, yeah? When she did like, and the land of the free. She also doesn't have a really good voice. She is also from, or not she's also from, but she also kind of reminds me of the girl that plays the nanny on, um, uh, yeah. That, that high, oh my, it's all like that <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld thing I can't stand. God, um, where in the U.S. are you from? I'm from uh, Eastern Shore. I'm on Maryland, right next to Baltimore. Okay, here's what I know about Maryland, and then you can tell me what you know about where I'm from. Old Bay on everything. I know, uh, yeah, like drugs, <laughs> like a big heroin problem, I think. And maybe that's just Baltimore. And um, lots of like crayfish, I think. Crayfish? Yeah, like um, I call them yabbies, but you wouldn't call them yabbies. But I hear like you have to go and get like a good like like a crab boil or whatever. Oh, we we eat a lot of crabs down here. Yeah. Oh, and Logic is from Maryland, isn't he? I didn't know Logic. I honestly just found out he was white like yesterday. <laughs> he's not totally white. He's half white. He's pale. Like he's I'm pretty pale, but that kid's pale. Yeah. But um. Well, I mean, Eastern Shore, there's definitely an opioid addiction problem. There's definitely, um, it was kind of a big thing. It's actually why I started school was for chemical dependency uh, because I had friends that were passing away from it and it's now it's hitting kids younger and younger. Um, Definitely a lot of, there's, we're in a sea, like mine's a seafood town. I'm from Ocean City. So we have the bay on one side and the ocean on the other. So we're Uh surrounded by water. 
So it's like everything's seafood, you know, all seafood restaurants. Obviously, I can go into town or something and get either seafood or a burger. It doesn't matter. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty prior. I'm a little, I'm way kind of like three hours away from Baltimore, um, okay. which is like I'm more closer to Delaware, uh, those places. That's like a 45 Delaware minute. Delaware is where, um, oh, oh my God, Aubrey Plaza is from. Or DJ Jazzy Jeff. You know who DJ Jazzy Jeff? He's something with like Will Smith. Exactly. DJ Jazzy <laughs> Jeff and the Fresh Prince. <laughs> he lives right in Delaware. Ludacris has a house out here too. Oh, really? Luda! Yeah, Ludy Lou. Um, <laughs> yeah, so what about, okay, so where in the UK are you from? I'm in Australia. You're so. in Australia? Wait a minute, how have we not been talking about everything in Australia can kill you? Right. Yeah. I've every time, every time I have someone from the UK or I have someone from Australia, I always mention that you guys drive on the wrong side of the road, and then I just wait for the ear beating you guys give me about how we're the only people that drive on the wrong side of the road. Well, yeah. So, like, obviously, you know that you're wrong, though. You know what I mean? (laughs) I just don't. I've talked to so many people, and I realize like everyone else is. It's the same thing with our metric system too. The way we yeah. Okay, that's the more fucked thing. Like, what the fuck is Fahrenheit? Like, that's a mistake. Really. I only know Fahrenheit. I don't know Celsius. If you told me 600 degrees Celsius, I would have no idea what that means. Okay, wait. So freezing happens at zero in both, yeah? So water freezes at zero Fahrenheit. Is that right? I or guess. Less? I mean, well, I don't even know the boiling temperature is like at 92, right? No. I think it's, no, that can't be right because for Celsius, it's – 100 degrees celsius boils and zero freezes so it makes a lot of sense you know unlike the american system i need to learn the system because every time someone says kilometers i'm like use proper english please yeah a kilometer is a thousand meters like that's the thing is that like our whole system just like it it's like bricks you know so it all very neatly flows whereas america is kind of like ah, fuck you we'll do what we want that's the point that was the whole concept. I've talked to people from Australia and I've, I've friends with people from Australia, you know, through the podcast, I had one woman that thought that America was just full of guns and we had a giant gun problem. And I'm like, no, the problem is there are guns everywhere, but this is, we have way more people in our country than in the whole of Australia. Like just in this compa- compact United States, we have so many fucking people. And that's, that's not even talk, looking at China yet. China has the most. They have an overpopulation problem. We do too, but they're literally at the point where they're like, no, you're going to have a boy and a girl. No more. There's going to be no more. That Everything else gets tossed in the trash can. It's not happening anymore. Now, it's all stereotypical views. Guns are not that big of a problem here. I don't have any fear of walking out and getting shot any at any time. I do not have that fear at all. It's just not big. And there's only certain areas, but you would see that that would still be happening even if the news wasn't showing it on the television. But sadly, it's called mean world syndrome. The news highlights the worst parts of what's going on in the world and mm-hmm. puts it onto television for you to see. And it's just nothing but that because it's a primal instinct in us all to be hyper aware of what's going on around us. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of the gun thing, like, first of all, I've had guns pulled on me twice and that both happened in Australia, never in America when I've been there. <laughs> um, 
But the other thing is I think that people have a misunderstanding of Australian um, gun laws. So, like, I hear, like, a lot of Americans would be like, oh, you don't have any guns, like, you don't even know. And I'm like, we've got plenty of fucking guns here, you know, like... I could go out and shoot a gun now if I wanted, but we just, we have much stricter parameters around it. So we'll be like, okay, like, are you a farmer? Is there a reason for you to have a gun? Like if you're a farmer, have a fucking shotgun. There's no problem with it. We kind of go, if you're a suburban mom, like there's no need for you to have a gun. Like, so if you want to get a gun here, you have to provide a legitimate reason as to why you would want one. And that can even be like, oh, well, I'm in a shooting class club I like to shoot guns and you can have a gun for that you know but we make it it's not a like oh I just want a gun so I can have one we're we're like okay well if you have a reason for it and you're trained in it have a fucking gun yeah I think there needs to be a better kind of requirement for getting a gun the process of it is just vetting your background for 17 days or something like that like not even at like if you go to like a gun show if you go to like a freaking rally kind of thing then you can bypass all of that it's like, I think we need to do a mental health check is probably the main thing. Like, honestly, people say video games are the ones that make you violent. I don't think no. that's true at all because I've, I actually did a study on it in psychology. I'm like, you don't have those intentions to go shoot up a store from a video game. You get those intentions from already having that inside of you. Nobody just decides to play Grand Theft Auto and then go run over a couple hookers in the street. I have never done that, even though how pissed off I might get at the game. It just doesn't happen. But the concept of it's displaying something bad in front of your face and it's brainwashing you to do something bad. I'm like, this is an MK Ultra, bro. We're not talking about mind control here. This, yeah. that, would, that would be the same concept for movies. That means every horror movie you watch, it's going to inspire serial killers. No, it's not. Yeah. That person probably already had it inside of them already. Well, it's like people that say... Um that you know like now we're getting really into murder and then if you look at society like oh we've got all these like big fans of like serial killers and we've got all these podcasts that are about murder and we have all these tv shows that are all about it and we must be getting yeah we must be getting like much more morbid and then it's like well no like if you look at things that were happening like hundreds of years ago you still have people being like "Ooh, what the fuck is that and like people would crowd around dead bodies or crimes or anything like that you know like it's an unusual human behavior and so it draws our attention it's not that like we're getting more morbid it's that we get like we get to see it more because we're more connected we're now, desensitized we've always been really into it we're desensitized by a lot of things now it seems like when a shooting happens you're just like okay what else is new like that's yeah, all it is now i'm like it, oh well done america you that know? sucks to say that because you're supposed to be impacted when something like that happens but the fact is it's been so shoved down your throat so much you don't feel like even dealing with it anymore you're like oh what else is new i want to see what they i'd rather watch the fresh prince in the morning but you know what my little cousin watches in the morning before he goes to school and has this in his head playing all mm-hmm. day and doesn't realize it he watches the fucking news Oh, his mom yeah. will keep it on in the background and just have it like she's listening to it while she's making him lunch or something. He's just sitting there eating Fruit Loops and staring at a television. Not not really. You know how many times you watch a television and actually process the information? I don't half the yeah. time. I just have yeah. it on and I'm staring at a screen and my brain's going off thinking about something else. But 
like it sits in your head next you know you're sitting in the middle of uh british literature class and you're like oh my god they killed charlie in, in fucking colorado and you're like what is going on like you're <laughs> you're really overwhelmed the teacher's trying to calm you down you're freaking out you're screaming like i don't want to get up and do this life sucks everything sucks i'm like because you're getting a distorted view of the world mm. the world is not shit people make it shit but we choose people are really really awesome but we suck most of the time because we choose to be lazy and we choose to kind of lose the true aspect that makes us all human in the first place which is caring for one another it's not your job to go out of your way to help somebody it's not a job it's just the right thing to do why we classify that as right is because you don't feel like an asshole when you're holding the door open for somebody. You don't feel yeah. like an asshole when you are helping someone with their groceries to their car, when you're saying, hey, how are you doing? I will not respond to people. Like I'm a, I'm a really, really easygoing guy. You know, you treat me with respect, I'll treat you with respect. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. I like to create humor out of, out of life. You know, more people like to be serious. I'm the guy that cracks a fart joke at self-checkout, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it's, that's, that's just my personality. And people like will walk by and be like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And then they'll keep walking. I won't answer. No. Mm -hmm. You stop if you're going to ask somebody a question or just totally don't talk to me. That's fine. Like, I'm not going to get angry at you if you don't say hi to me. You know, if you, <laughs> if you wave, that's cool. But that's, that's, mm. that's okay to do and walk. But if you go, Hey, how are you doing? And you're like walking as you're saying it. And like, you're trying to answer, but they're still walking away. And you're like, what the, what is this? <laughs> We're giving each other autopiloted answers. Yeah. That's like, I've noticed in myself before, like I've had people ask me how I am and I'll say, Oh, I'm good. And then I'll go, no, I'm actually not. That's a fucking lie. Like things are really bad at the moment. And my friends will just kind of laugh and they're like yeah true actually you know like we answer in such an automated way and then to sit back and go mm, actually let's have a real chat i mean so many people i think through life they feel like their problems are going to bore somebody else or they're going to be too much of a drain on somebody else so we learn to bottle them up i'm like you just need to stop expecting that connection or understanding from someone you don't really know the problem is we start looking at people like we're all like on the same level, like anybody would care about your problems. That's not true. Nobody is going to really care about your problems unless you're intimate in their life. You know, if you're a family member, if you're a best friend, if you're someone like that. So we put our faith in kind of what I call uh, fake connectivity with um, mm -hmm. social media. So the fact that, you know, we rely on that like when we put up that depression thing on Facebook. Oh, my job. Oh, my life sucks on Facebook. It's all it is anymore. People complaining. It's kind of in the past couple of years. And when you get that like, if it gets five likes, next time it's going to need six likes to create that response in your brain that makes you feel like, oh, it's a stress relief. And then yeah. seven likes, eight likes. The What's next the time- Every like you get is like a bing, bing, bing. It releases dopamine into your brain. Yeah. And then as so soon as that- seven likes goes down to two likes on your next post, you don't feel it anymore. And you feel like you messed up. You delete the post. You feel like nobody likes you anymore. And you get really, really depressed. That same thing, that fake connectivity can be put into real connectivity. When you just talk to someone in your family, uh, someone that is a friend of yours, someone that you're able to actually bond with and have a connection with, you know, how many moments have you had in your life with a friend where you were able to, 
really feel connected to them. You don't remember exactly what was said, but you know, if they ever call you up, you're the first to answer no matter what it is. And if they need help, you're helping them out no matter where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes me think of my friend, like <laughs> my dad died very suddenly a couple of years ago. Um, and I can remember so clearly, like probably the day after he died, it was probably like four or five in the morning. And I was just like, wailing I was doing that like you know that really panicked heaving kind of crying you know and I was like I just want my dad I just want to be with my dad you know and this beautiful friend of mine just like sat on the phone with me for hours with me just wailing you know and like he didn't try and make it better he didn't try and fix it or anything he just like sat with me in that anguish and just like allowed me to have the emotions that I was experiencing. And that was, you know, a couple of years ago. And he and I are the kind of friends where it's like, doesn't matter what time of day or night it is or what the hell is going on. If one of us needs the other, it's like, boom, it doesn't matter. You'll be there. You know? Oh, thank God for friends like that. Yeah. We all need someone like that. I feel like we all just need like a pillow basically, but we need something that has a response back to it. I talk about, we have a social skill. If you've ever played the game Sims, it highlights like skills in general, like things you need to be doing in life. I'm not talking about the sim build it game. I'm talking about the more of the personal one where you have to create your own person. There's a food meter. There's a bathroom meter. There's all these meters. They all go down really, really fast, but there's one meter that declines at a way slower rate than all the others. And it is a social skill. It has two faces laughing. Okay. You need to have a conversation, whether it's anger, whether it's something you need to have that connectivity. The problem is a lot of people that realize this is after being introvert for a really, really long time. I went mm -hmm. introvert for like four years where I was just going to the gym, working, going to school, going gym, working, going to school, going gym, working, and then sleeping. And that was it. After years and years and years of that, I was so suppressed. I was like, I need to, I need to go. I don't have anybody. I don't, every, all my friends are going out partying. I'm not doing a single thing because every time they asked, I'd be like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Or I wouldn't answer because there was no point. There was no point in going out and doing all these things when I was like still trying to find my way. And it, it, you know, you can be a hermit or a, a, whatever, a, a completely ignorant to everyone. Just go isolate yourself from the whole world. But after a year, after two years, when you finally talk to someone or associate with someone, ooh, it's the craziest. It's like someone hugged your soul. You know, you mm. saw it best in Breaking Bad. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but they made him stay in this cabin. Like, you can't go into town. I'll be back to check on you every month to drop you off supplies so you can survive. So he's like, every, he's like, but if you leave the property, I'm not coming back. Every day he walked to the gate and thought about going into town himself. And then he only lasted like three months and then ended up just going to a bar in town. Like he was like, I, I can't just stay locked up all the time. I need to associate with people. I can't just be reading newspapers that you bring me once a month and then paying you to stay just to talk to me. And you can only stay two hours and it's 10 grand every hour. Like <laughs> have a, a sense of connection with things around you. Not only is connection with people, but a connection with the world. Mm. Yeah. Well, if you look at, um, addiction, they say that addiction is straight isolation, you know? And so like these people kind of go into like isolation, 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 and then, um, to get out of that and start kind of being in the world again. Ah, oh, 
this is going to be so annoying for you, but a loop back to the ADD trauma thing is that, um, this that is added- have ADHD because you were still thinking about that. <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> so one of the reasons I want to look at the, the trauma ADD link is that, um, trauma and addiction and ADD and addiction also go hand in hand. And so you can't just do one thing. If you're doing Coke, you got to try heroin. Look, man. That's a really bad example. I'm sorry. (laughs) Someone slipped me heroin when I was 17. What? Yeah, dude, I was so glad that I didn't like it. Cause like my whole life I've been like, I really want to fucking shoot some heroin. Right. Only because like, Dude, like, I know that I shouldn't, but, like, I look at it and I'm like, okay, I used to see movies like um, Requiem for a Dream or, like, Train Spotting or whatever, and I would be like, okay, like, that drug must be amazing because look at what these people are willing to do to experience it, you know? <laughs> okay. I thought about that when I saw, like, the Beatles and how they talked about writing music on LSD and all these types of yeah. drugs. And I was like, that'd be cool to try. Then I saw the movie Dewey Cox and it really, really threw me through a fucking loop because he okay. tried LSD and immediately thought he chopped his brother in half and he had a bad trip because when he was a kid, he killed his brother with a machete. Um, on It was an accident. They were having a machete fight and he actually sliced his brother in half. So okay. like, it was bringing up like if you have bad thoughts, it turns to a bad trip. And then like he's tripping with the Beatles. And the next thing you know, he goes into a bad trip. And then there was one where he did PCP and he's like running through the streets in his underwear. Oh, and he man. flips over a car and then climbs a building and screams, I am Zeus. No mortal may stop me. And he's like, just <laughs> like, like I saw that. And I'm like, this is the Hollywood effect of drugs, though. But I'm like, how many times is it? Did you, you know what the D.A.R.E. program is? Yeah. Okay, there was a, there was a dare program um in our school and the dare program was the worst program in the world that actually got more kids to try drugs. Um, oh yeah. It introduced them to them and also it didn't really make them completely aware of how bad they were. They kind of told them the effects of it and like this is PCP. It'll make you really strong and think you're a tremendous Herculean <laughs> athlete. And then, like, then they wouldn't tell you the bad things about it. But it makes your brain into a, a, a like, if you think of a, an egg in a frying pan, that's what it makes your egg. That's what makes your head. And I'm yeah. like, I don't, all I heard was super strong, really, really fast, and able to punch through walls. So that's For all sure. I like said. We did drug education at school and it was so funny because like I grew up in this very naive, tiny little bubble, right? So like I'd never seen drugs in real life or anything like that. And we had to read this book called um, Anna's Story and it was about like a nice girl named Anna who was 15 and she took ecstasy and she died. Oh, my God, right? And so they're like they just demonized all these drugs and I was like, wow, like I will never do drugs, you know, because like I thought like – Chemical drugs I looked at and I was like, well, you don't know what the fuck is in that. And so, like, why would you do it? And weed, I was like, eh, it's for hippies, whatever. And then I moved out of home when I was 17 and I accidentally moved in with a heroin addict. (laughs) And, like, they gave me, like, my first, like, as soon as I was around drugs, all of my fear of drugs immediately left me, you know. And so, like, I went from, like, I used to drink a fair bit in my early teens and then I was trying to stop drinking from when I was, like, 15 because it was pretty bad for me. Um, and then, 
when I was 17, I got, um, yeah, they gave me like heroin and like speed and all this kind of stuff. And like, as soon as I saw drugs, I was like, fuck yeah, I'll do them, you know? And it's like drug education really needs to be more, I think, realistic. Cause like I had on the one hand, I was like very afraid of drugs, but then I also had that thing in me where like, I would see something like Requiem for a Dream and I would be like, that must be amazing. And then, yeah, I lost kind of like 10 years to addiction, you know? I'll never forget the first time I saw cocaine. Mm. I was 19 years old. I didn't, I was friends with this guy. And then I became with his friend. I became friends with his friend. So I would go over to his friend's house all the time. And I remember I walked in and they just had a mountain of it on the table. And I was <laughs> like, I've, I, I didn't know what to do. I tried to act cool, but I was like, whoa, like <laughs> fucking Scarface live here. And then he was like, hey, you mind watching the house for me real quick? I'm going to go drop um, him back off at his house. I'm like, I we this is the third time we've (laughs) ever hung out. I'm at your house right now. You have your dog in one room and there's a mountain of cocaine on the table. He goes, yeah, just, um, you know, if anybody comes up to the house, don't answer. I'll I'll be back in like 30 minutes. I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) Like, I was like, I felt like I was dreaming. I was like, is this, you know, I'm not like I wanted to do coke or anything, but. He was like, I just knew you're a trustworthy dude. I was like, what do you mean? Uh-huh. He goes, he goes, bro, because when whenever we have pot out here, you don't smoke any pot. You don't even ask for anything. We offer it to you. You don't mm-hmm. want anything. You don't, I know you'll never touch drugs. You'll never take them. I was like, no, I've taken pot before. I, I just don't, I'm not a fan of it. I've drunk before. I'm not a fan of it. I just don't, yeah. I don't need anything because I've already got so much shit going on in my head. I don't need any more shit getting compounded up in there. And yeah. Um, it's just not for me. It's not for some people. You know, I have family members that still smoke pot every single day. And it's like, I'm I, sorry, bro. I'm good. Like, why can't we ever, why don't you ever want to do it with us? I'm like, cause I, I, I literally just don't care about it at all. It's like <laughs> owning a cat for me. I don't care about having a cat. I really don't, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, everyone's got something they funnel into. My, my addiction is the gym. I go every yeah. single day because I had scars that I pulled out of high school with it when I was bullied really bad for my weight. And then when I ended up yeah. getting towards my senior year and getting a gym membership, I've been going every day since. And, you know, it's became an addiction. Now it's like checking your phone in the morning. I have to go. Mm-hmm. There is no not going. Yeah. I When I first got into drugs, I actually did like uh, – I would have like a couple of grams of speed a day and I would just spend the whole day at the gym, you know? And so like, I would be at the gym from like first thing in the morning, I would spend like eight to 10 hours at the gym a day, just off my face on speed. Just like, you know, and the trainers would be like, you need to go home. Like you've been here longer than my shift. You need to leave, you know? And so like for me, initially drugs were like, I don't know, they kind of really helped me like act out with like eating disorders and stuff. Cause I could just have, like a fuckload of speed, go work out for a whole day and like not eat anything, you know? Yeah, and then I would be like severely more. underweight and then swap to another drug. I kind of wasted like 10 years of like just, I don't know, lots of trauma, lots of drugs, lots of shit, you know? And that's kind of how I wound up like being 30 and being like, I have no idea what the fuck to do with my life. I guess I'll go to uni now. 
This is what I love about having just conversations with people because you start to unravel stuff that like we we all experience something. Like for me, you know, I'll be I'll admit to it. I'm open to it as much as possible. I got a psychological problem when it comes to the gym. At one point in my life, there was a part where I was only eating like an apple a day, and now I'm eating meals a day. I'm eating four or five of them a day. You know, I had to build up to that, obviously, but it's it's a long, lengthy process. I feel like every time I build myself up, it gets taken back down again because I always still go I'm always there two or something hours I you know I try not to kill myself a whole lot when I'm there I do work out my hardest in the time that I'm there and then get it over with but I also try to make it fun as well I mean I got to a point where I didn't have a job in winter like three or four years ago and I was going twice a day got down to three percent body fat and that was my life was the gym because all I was doing is going home watching tv um and then sleeping, going to the gym. So I decided to keep going to the gym, just take naps. And like, it threw my body off. I was getting hungry yeah. at different times. And then trying to fix that again was a process. But like, it's crazy. Like, I see people, I mean, I, I experience, uh, there's two people you'll experience at one o'clock in the morning at a gym. I go to a 24-hour fitness. So my whole clock is kind of rotated. And my schedule of when I go kind of changes. And um, I went. I used to go at one o'clock in the morning for like a couple of years, and I would see people that were too intelligent to talk to other individuals, which is why they were up at night. It's the nocturnal ones, the ones that get up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been up since one a.m., but I'm an insomniac, so it's like. Um, but then you'll see druggies, the people that are on steroids. There was a dude with a waist the size of a coke can, yeah. but he had the muscles of Arnold like back in the bodybuilder <laughs> days. And I was looking at him. He did 10 pull-ups and opened up a legit steak. Like <laughs> out of, like a, like a, a steak and started eating <laughs> in the middle of the gym. And I yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. I was laughing and I had headphones <laughs> in. I'm it's like one o'clock in the morning. I look over, I'm like, what? He out of like a to-go tainer. Like he just got off work or something. He starts eating a steak. Then he's sitting there watching TV. I think after 45 minutes, he got back up, stretched, and then did 10 more pull-ups and then sat back down on his phone for another legit hour. I was there three hours and he did not do a damn thing besides like 30 pull-ups. And I I, I went to him and was like, how do you, how do you do that with 30 pull-ups? And he pulled out a steak and started eating it. And he goes, bro, (laughs) look at me. I'm like, what? He's like steroids. I'm like, Oh, oh, I have not experienced you yet. Oh, oh, he's like, you want to try? <laughs> and I'm like, um, steroids. Cause I like, I would look at myself cause the gym has mirrors everywhere. And I'm like, mm. have I reached my peak? Could I go farther if I tried steroids? And then <laughs> I, that was a big moment in my life. Like, should I do it? Should I, you know what I mean? And then mm. it was like, nah, I don't need it. Cause I know one thing about mental health. It's the yeah. same thing you see bodybuilders that get older and they don't have the body they used to have. It's the same thing with women as well when they get older and they don't have the body they used to have. Guys are more completely ignorant of it, at least most of the time. But unless you're like a bodybuilder guy, you miss that what you used to look like and you start going yeah. off what you used to look like. Remember, this is what I used to look like. This is what I used to look like. It's like there's something there. And I've talked to my like uh, bodybuilder manager and all this stuff. He works at my gym. Um, he manages the gym there, but he was trying to get me into competitions when I was going at like twice a day. He's like, you're ripped. Why don't you do it? I was like, bro, I don't even like taking my shirt off to get in the shower. I'm good. 
And yeah. he's, he's like, okay. And uh, he was telling me about it. He goes, yeah. He goes, I used to have like, like look like this, look like this. He's showing me all these photos. I'm like, do you have a photo of your on your phone that's not you in a Speedo? And he's just like, well, you know, and I'm like, I get it. Because obviously if I look like that, I wouldn't, I would probably just have Speedo photos too. And uh, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, it's a, it's a process, man. He goes, I'm 50 years old now. And these were when I was 20 and 30s, like, and I'm not doing it anymore. Like it's, it's difficult to watch your body change, but you have to accept it. And him saying that to me, it still kind of resonates in the back of my head, but it's like, it's hard to bring yourself to terms that, you know, those are spotlight things like Pam Anderson getting surgery to fix herself um, because of her age, you know, getting plastic surgery and all these things to kind of keep her body as that hot model. Everyone knew her as, you know, Baywatch. And it's like that limelight fades. If that all goes away, it's not a skill that lasts forever. It's something that does fade much like if you play chess every single day and you stop for a couple of years, you're not going to be as good as you once were because it's muscle. It's a muscle. You need to constantly work at it. I tried to play the piano the other day. I did piano lessons for probably 12 years and then I kept playing by myself for a number of years. And then I haven't played in probably 10 years. Right. And then when I sit down to a piano now, my fingers don't work in the same way. And so like, I used to be able to play all this like really hectic, very complicated stuff from memory, like the whole way through and be fine. And now I'll sit down and I'll be like, fuck, like my fingers just don't work in the same way. It's that muscle memory stuff of just being like, oh, I, I know that I have the skills there and I just need to get into it. But looking at where I am now, it's just like, it's so... Oh, it's frustrating. But I think that that's similar to people with like a gym story, you know, like I have a friend of mine who he used to be like very overweight. So he would be oh, like 400 pounds maybe, you know? Um, and then he's gotten really, really fit in the last couple of years. And so then he was, um, the people that he works out with though are like these big bodybuilders, you know? And so he would compare himself to them and he would be like, he wanted to do a round of roids and all that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, like I understand why you want to do that, but I would suggest taking some time back and doing some really thorough work on body image and body dysmorphia and all that kind of thing, because your mind takes a while to catch up to your appearance, you know? And so for him, he's gone from being this very obese person to now being like really fit, but he looks at himself in the mirror and he doesn't see what the rest of us see. And so Same. he's like, oh, well, I have to go and um, do all these roids and get bigger. And I'm like, you're freaking bulky as now. You That's know? the but same like, thing it is for me. I'll look in the mirror and I'll be like, I don't have a six pack. Like, But I show yeah. people that. Like I'll lift up my uh, shirt at the gym and take a picture of it and put it on like Instagram. But I tell people, this isn't about showing off. This is about persistence and dedication, but I also want to, I want to show you and kind of open up your mind to this is, this is like 80% lighting, 10% nutrition and 10% actually working out the gym lights. They focus down on certain angles to do that. That's been known in bodybuilding competitions. They have the lights angled a certain way where you strike a pose and it highlights those muscle features. And I tell people like after this, like, after I take this picture and I go home and eat, I'm not going to have a, a six pack anymore. I'm going to have a food baby. Yeah. I'm going to have a salad bloated up stomach in me. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. I'll, I'll have it first thing when I wake up in the morning after like a fresh poop. And then I'll have it after, like before I go to bed or something like when I'm like no liquids, none of that. And I'm just kind of drained out, you know, no water mm. awake. 
And yeah. I tell people like, it's not going to be like, you're going to have it 24 seven. And they gave Jason Momoa a lot of flack because he went on a birthday vacation and he had cake and beer yeah. on his birthday. And they were like, he has a dad bod now. I'm like, he even said it. Like, I don't fucking keep that around year round. It's, it's impossible to maintain. I have kids. I have a family. I want to enjoy myself, not strict myself mm-hmm. every single day on food. Like, it's ridiculous to think you're going to have that all the time. But it's hard yeah. for people with body dysmorphia, like myself, to kind of understand that because we look in the mirror and we don't even see what you guys see. Well, see, I get dysmorphia pretty strongly with my face usually. So, like, my body, I'm typically – actually, no, I'm pretty bad with my body as well. But, like, my face, I get it much worse. So, like – um like I'll get a fear that like I will scare children if they see my face, you know? And like, I've just realized that my face is really shadowed out in this camera, but that's, you know, like I don't look terrifying, right? I rationally know that I don't look terrifying, but if I'm having a bad day with the dysmorphia, then I won't be able to leave my house because I'll think, Oh, if a small child saw me, they would be afraid of me. Or I'll think that I look like I've been in a car accident or something like that. And it's like, rationally, I know that's bullshit. I know I don't have these scars on my face. I know that, like, I'm not mutilated in a way that would scare someone. But if I'm having one of those bad days, it's like, it's so real to me that even though I know it's not real, it feels real and I it debilitates me. Well, your body highlights the most... Uh kind of flawed things about you and then runs with them so far and exaggerates them to such a point that it obsesses in your mind. Someone that thinks they have a huge nose when their nose isn't really that big. Um, it except your, your mind's known to accentuate your flaws, you know, yeah. heavily people kind of capitalize on that. And we're afraid to kind of show that like a lot of companies like advertising companies for beauty products will capitalize on that whole, um, exaggeration of your features. It's, yeah it's nerve wracking because it's really, really hard because something like that, you can know when you can say something to someone about their appearance and you know exactly what they are probably self-conscious about. Um, Mm. An attack of that way is probably the worst. I see that than a physical attack because it hits you so deep where you can't stop thinking about it. Like Nikki Glaser, she's hot, 35 years old comedian. And she Mm -hmm. put up something on Instagram like, Hey, me, no makeup. And then someone's like, commented just being an asshole like you look really shitty without makeup you should keep makeup on and she's like i'm probably going to think about this the rest of the day and then took the post down like it was and it did bother her for a while and that's like that with a lot of people nobody wants to like we got to be a little bit more of a loving world but also make sure people aren't killing themselves while they're doing it you know what i mean like eating twenty thousand plates just because they're bored or they're doing something it's like no you need to understand like your, your, your physical health does matter as well as much as your mental health. I mean, they're like, a. What's like? sorry. Well, they're like a machine in a car. They both work together. Like they're two yeah. cogs. Yeah. I've totally blanked from an ADD moment. Oh, sorry. It's all good. <laughs> I have to edit out all of my little blank moments. Oh, it's funny. We don't edit. I, no. I don't edit. Nope. There's no editing at all. It's all real conversation. No. Blank pause. I got to try my best to think of something, which <laughs> makes me good. Cause like in a conversation, I don't have usually any pauses at all. I'm just kind of like, I try my best to keep on tangents. Did you remember it? I remembered it. Okay. So, um, and I nearly lost it again, just in saying that that's how bad my ADD is today, but that's okay. So I was just thinking, you know, like, 
uh, between insults and compliments, you know, like I would say that I've received far more compliments in my life than insults, but I can remember the insults so much more. And it's like, um, I remember like very clearly, um, you know, like when I was 17 and I first got into drugs, you know, like I had this boyfriend and he, <laughs> he pulled me into our bedroom one day and he was acting like really sweet and stuff. And he looks at me and he goes, Oh, I just need to let you know. And he's like sat on the bed and stuff. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, if I ever cheat on you, it's because you're overweight. And I was like a lot smaller than I am now. Right. But I was like, Oh shit. And I was like, but like people have always complimented me on like how I look and on my body and all this kind of thing. And so I was kind of like trying to challenge him because I was like, that's a dick thing to say. And that I is a dick thing to say. Yeah. Holy I, was shit. Like, I was questioning, like, I don't think that's true. You know? And I said to him like, well, like this is all the stuff that I've gotten the opposite message of my whole life. And he looked at me and he was like, well, they would tell you that because they felt bad for you. And I'm, I'm the one that's willing to be honest with you and actually tell that's you. That's a backhanded fucking like thing. Oh, he was, he was a total piece of shit. Like he used to beat the fuck out of me and all this kind of thing. He was a really bad guy. But like the fact that like in one moment he could take all of this, like all of the evidence I'd received in my life up to that point, all this positive feedback and everything. And then he could rip it down in a matter of minutes. And it's like, you know, like 12 years later, I can still remember exactly how he said it to me. And it's like, well, yeah, like our brains kind of, I guess like hold on to that shit even more. And it's just like, I don't know. I also remember insults more. I tell people not to give me compliments because then I'll end up like getting it to my head a little bit too much. Like someone be like, you know, you're pretty educated. I'm like, don't, don't put that on me. Don't you put that on me. I don't need that. They're like, what do you mean? Like, it's true. I'm like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Cause then you're giving me a level I have to obtain and I can't, I, I won't be able to do that 24 seven. You know, I have my I about calling me smart. I'm like, please don't say that. Like I speak in a tone of voice that sometimes implies authority or knowledge, but like, please don't interact like I'm freaking smart. Yeah. It's the accent. <laughs> it's it sounds elegant and more proper than like my way of talking yeah Dude, whenever i'm in america and i say i haven't been to the u.s in ages but people always either think that i'm english or south african and i'm like fucking aussie mate that's why i said uk because it has that proper like kind of twist on the end when you talk and it sounds like but i mean a lot of people in australia like i think they go say oh crikey but then there's nothing like that <laughs> like when i've talked to more of them i started highlighting the ridiculous notions we run as the stereotypical thing like i bet you know in your country you probably think everybody from texas rides a horse i'm in the united states and i swear i'm on the east coast i've never been to texas but i used to think everybody was just a cowboy wearing cowboy hats even i've been to texas come on man no it's that's nothing like texas at all and <laughs> i have one of my really good podcasting friends his name's michael simons snapback we're podcasting he's wearing a snapback beard you know he's vaping in front of me and i'm like you're nothing like what the idea of texas is supposed to be we're supposed to be america and he goes yeah <laughs> Cause I'm a, it, it, we're all people, man. And I'm like, mm. that is true. Like I used to, every time I brought up, I remember my first podcast was Zach Breyers from Australia. And I'm like, so how big is everything in Australia that can kill you there? And he goes, 
bruh, there's nothing really here to worry about. There's only sharks you got to worry about if you go too far out in the ocean. There's some great whites out there or something. But honestly, it's not that big of a deal. Like, we're not going to die walking out of our front door. And I'm like, what about kangaroos? He goes, yeah, there's kangaroos. You might want to stay away from them. They can actually box you and stuff. And then we got into a whole conversation about that. But he was like, but I got to ask you something. I'm like, what? He goes, I'm afraid of going to America because of grizzly bears. And I'm like, fuck, I haven't even seen a grizzly bear. Like maybe in the zoo, there's not that big of a problem here. Yeah. I would be more worried about, well, I can't really say guns, seeing as I've had more of a gun issue in Australia than the US. I had a woman tell me that since they banned all guns in Australia or something that she couldn't, that there was, wait, it's like, that's the problem. They learned how to deal with it when America still has a problem. I'm like, I get what you're saying, but also like, Who's stopping making guns? Who are the biggest producers in the world? China, United States, England, maybe. You know, these giant things that monopolize on what people want. The problem is America is really good at giving people what they want, not what they need. (laughs) Yeah, like universal health care. Yeah, well, it's the whole whole factor, like – who there's more guns produced every single year. It just keeps going up. The number keeps going up. There are so many Mm -hmm. guns out there that every person could have 10 and you still wouldn't have even close to the amount of guns completely bought by everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're still making them. It's the same thing with porn. Who's jacked Mm -hmm. off to every single porn tape has not Mm -hmm. happened. And there's still more being produced because we constantly want new shit. We don't want to go through the old stuff. We don't want to deal with anything, anything that goes after a year. Wait, the problem is we're so used to getting everything and keep on increasing in new stuff and new stuff and new stuff. It's like, there's already so much of it out there. Why are we still doing this? You know? Yeah. I think we kind of think like, oh, there's always going to be something better, something better. And it's like, actually, maybe you just need to appreciate life. Yeah. There doesn't need to be an iPhone 10. I don't need that right now. My my iPhone doesn't even fit in my pocket when I go to the store. I have to leave it in the car, which I started learning like to stay off my phone more now because I literally cannot physically bring it with me unless I want to carry it. And I'm not carrying it. That's a good idea. I'm going to try and stop wearing my headphones as much because I wear my headphones like everywhere as a way of dealing with like sensory overload and just to kind of be like, yo, don't talk to me if you see me. But people still talk to me all the time. I'll be like, I have all of my tattoos on display. I have headphones on. I have all of this shit going. Like I'm showing you very clearly, don't speak to me. And people are still like, Oh, she looks friendly. And they'll come and fucking talk to me. Oh, anyway, I'm trying to have my headphones less. Cause I read this article from this girl who was saying like, she had really bad anxiety. And so she would wear her headphones. And then she, um, she tried um, going without her headphones and she found that it like totally reduced her anxiety. Like she went, I think it made her feel a bit more like connected and aware of what was going on around her. So it just like made everything better. So I think I'm going to try and like be a bit more connected. That's what happened in um, in New York. They have a lot of people there wear headphones because the cars and everything is so loud. It's like sensory overload. So they wear mm-hmm. headphones to kind of drown out the noise. I do it sometimes when I'm at work, I'll put in headphones and not even have it attached to anything. Just so people don't like, because a lot of the times I'm in a, kind of a harsh environment. So it's like everyone's kind of pissed off and been working so much. They're all kind of drained and just at each other's throats. So it's like, I'd rather not deal with any of this stuff because I honestly can't handle everybody screaming at each other right now. It's just like, I don't need conflict. I don't have any. So I just want to clock in and clock out. Yeah. 
Yeah, just lead me to my own little world. Well, you know what, Laura? It's been awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'll have to get you in on my one. Yeah, I want to get you a minute here at the end to kind of promote your content. Yeah, I didn't even talk about my stuff. Oh, my God. So I have a podcast called Spaghetti. It's just spaghetti without the I on the end. And essentially, it's a way of like... I mean, really, I started it because, like, I grew up really delusional and, like, I grew up just thinking that, like, life was going to be this, like, linear, neat thing and it turns out that, like, life is really fucking messy and that's the beauty of life. And so, yeah, I just get people on to talk about, like, expectations be reality of life. Yeah, like, you're not going to retire at 40 years old with the way the economy is going now. You're not going to have all these things lined up for you at such a, you know, an age appropriate thing. That's not a happening thing. I saw, you know, you see that every day. I see a 90 year old woman still working at a dollar store. You know, Mm. she doesn't have her retirement because not because she messed up in life because the system either cheated her out or something, you know, didn't give her her retirement benefits. A company laid her off a year before she was supposed to retire after working there for like 50 years. Yeah. This stuff happens, you know, there's life's full of inconsistencies, but we take it in the notion of that means life is shit. Sometimes the inconsistencies, the anomalies are kind of the best things about it as well. But you got to look at those, not really highlight the flawed system or the things we, that we create as people. Well, it's like my entire life got kind of crumbled at 28. You know, when I was 28, I was sitting in a police station, like giving a statement about this stuff that had happened. And they were explaining like really basic shit to me, like, I'd been in like a very long-term trauma situation for probably 15 years. Right. And so from 13 to 28, I was in this really bad situation. And then at 28, I got out of it and I was in the police station, like explaining everything that had happened. Um, and they were talking to me about shit like consent and all that kind of thing. And I was like, lol, like that's not a real thing. Like that doesn't actually happen in the world or anything like that. You know? So I was like this 28 year old baby who had no idea about, anything. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know like who the fuck I was, what kind of things I believed in, anything like that. And on the one hand, that's really terrifying, you know, but on the other hand, it's like this really beautiful opportunity to be able to go, you know, like I get to now decide who I am, what I believe in, what I want to do, all that kind of thing. And it was like the worst thing that happened in my life in some ways turns out to be the best thing because it gives me the most opportunity to change anything, you know, as part of why I'm interested in neuroscience is because I'm like, fuck the therapy. Let me look at the chemical stuff, you know? And so my podcast is a bit kind of similar to that of like, okay, well, like some of us got into like real hectic situations or like life just kind of turned so mental from what we thought it was going to be. And sometimes that's shitty and sometimes it's great, but let's just fucking talk about it because like nobody benefits from thinking that life is neat and that everybody else gets it. And you're the one that doesn't. Exactly. You're highlighting the key aspects that we need to be focusing on as people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for doing the podcast and thanks for having me. I'll bring you on to spaghetti soon. Spaghetti. Spaghetti. It's just spaghetti without the eye. Spaghetti without the eye, but what's it, what's it like, how did you come across that name? Um, well, I think like, I think there's like that funny thing of like, Oh, spaghetti, you know, just with like a funny accent. But then I was thinking <laughs> like, 
I was like, you know, like I grew up thinking that life was going to be lasagna. Like I thought it was neatly stacked, you know? And I was like, actually, it's just spaghetti everywhere. It's got layers for sure. Yeah. Lots of twists and turns. It's got layers of beef, cheese, and so many (laughs) other things that cause severe internal problems. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Laura, for being on. Have a lab. Yay. So keep eating shit and I'll play with your kidneys now.